and welcome to Stories of Scotland, a podcast that looks at the heritage and environments of this strange and wonderful country. I'm Jenny. And I'm Annie. And this episode is inspired by an enchanting answer to a question that I asked my grandfather several moons ago. Where is the most beautiful place in Scotland? Now, the clip is only 45 seconds, so let's hear this directly from Papa. What do you think is the most beautiful place you've seen in Scotland? In Scotland? Oh, well. I like the Greymere Dale. That's down in the future, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's where, the, where that walk I was telling you about. Mm. We finished up at walking down the Greymere Dale. It's a waterfall, and it's nothing but waterfalls all the way down the, the gully, you know? And mm. you can't really get near it because it's a big steep drop but you can walk along the top and you've got some lovely views of it the great what they call the grey mare's tail because it's that higher waterfall i think that's why it would call the grey mare's tail now what i love about this answer is that neither of us are from the borders annie so we don't know anything about this area at all or the specific place your granddad's talking about when we heard him talk about the grey mare's tail we were intrigued to know more about it To be considered the most beautiful place in Scotland is a huge accolade to be handed from someone who's lived over 80 years in Scotland and seen almost every corner of the country. So we started digging and we found some wonderful stories that are really grounded in what the ground actually is what I've been looking at. Geology. That explains why your hands are so muddy, Jenny. (laughs) No, no, that's actually not the same reason. Gardening. She's been doing gardening. (laughs) But I can see in your eyes that you can't wait to take us through deep time. Yeah. And I'm excited to get into some of the history that I've found about the area being used as a secret hiding place for a group of religious rebels. But first, let's get some descriptions of this landscape to try and understand just why my papa considers it such an incredible landscape. So, Jenny... Here's an article from a correspondent of the Scotsman from 1823. A moderate feeling of danger, strong enough to banish our everyday thoughts and awe the spirit into a solemn calm. This is to be classed among our most intense pleasures. Such a feeling I have enjoyed when standing alone at the foot of a fine cascade called the Grey Mare's Tail, in Craigieburn Valley, near Moffat. The water pours down at one single leap from a height and falls into a small pool, surrounded by steep rocks shaped into a cavity, something like the pit of a lime kiln. It is just wide enough to let the stream escape, but too narrow, steep and full of eddies and whirlpools for the foot of a traveller. To the pool you descend with great difficulty. Here you stand at the bottom of a deep circular cave, imprisoned by a vast, threatening, perpendicular wall of rocks, with a cataract thundering at your feet, so near that you may almost touch it with your hand while you are without the power of sudden escape. Your eyes and ears give you sensations of sublimity and terror, About you, you see nothing but the blue sky and roaring waters which seem to pour down from it at this impending precipice. 
The incessant thundering sound makes you look anxiously round from time to time to see whether some convulsion of nature is heaving the precipices from their base to bury you under their ruins. Wow, Jenny, that was an incredible reading. Thank you, Annie. I feel I really embodied the, the power of the waterfall there. You really channeled and streamed the Greymare's Tale waterfall perfectly. So this waterfall is so big that it fills you with the sublime awe and terror of nature. It's almost 200 feet high. Now there's multiple Greymare Tale waterfalls in Scotland, but the most famous one is near Moffat in my grandfather's birthplace of Dumfries. Yes, and it's also the biggest of the Mare's Tales in Scotland. At 200 foot high, it's about the same size as the Leaning Tower of Pisa or your average City of Glasgow Tower block flat. Do you actually think it looks like a mare's tail, like a horse's tail? Oh, absolutely. You can definitely see where it gets its name from. If you look at it for any period of time, you can see a swishing tail in the wind falling from the massive hind of a huge horse, whipping through the air. The grey mare's tail is a tall and thin line of water falling, so it's not this big, thick, thundering waterfall. It's much smaller. And it threads itself through this tight V-shaped valley as it falls over 60 metres to the valley floor. The waterfall itself is fed by the tail burn, which flows from Loch Skeen. This little loch is nestled high up in one of the highest hills in southern Scotland. And these aren't like the craggy, raw peaks on the northwest. This is a more subtle landscape. It doesn't yell loudly to get your attention, but it pulls you in and seduces you with its calmness and smooth, heather-covered hills. And these heather-covered hills are actually composed of mudstones, which is a sedimentary rock. Oh, you ready, Annie? You ready? We're hitting the geology. We're hitting it hard. I can see it in your face. You're excited. <laughs> <laughs> Am I Jenny? Am I really? <laughs> now this rock was formed between 500 and 400 million years ago, which I'm sure you'll agree, Annie, is a really long time. Yes, I mean, that's quite a long time. No, no, like a really long time. Okay, I, I get you. It's a, a long time ago, Jenny. Imagine it is 500 million years ago and you're floating on a calm ocean with land just about in sight in the distance. Um, I'm floating like a jellyfish at the top wave. Um, uh, uh, no, I think at this point actually sharks are just about evolving, so I wouldn't advise just floating there. Then what am I floating on? You choose. You can either be Tom Hanks' castaway raft or a catamaran. Can I be a half boat? That wasn't an option, but I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> so you're floating here in this 500 million year old half boat. And below you, the water contains lots of tiny particles of stone. Slowly, over thousands of years, these very fine sediments gradually settle to the bottom of the ocean. Now, down at the bottom of the ocean, there live lots of strange and ancient animals scavenging for any scraps that fall from above. Now, they eventually die and also get buried under this fine sediment that is falling from above. Over time, so much sediment accumulates that our original layer is now compressed under the weight of many, many more layers of mud. And this turns into rock. 
Now, if you imagine this cycle repeating with new sediments on top, slowly being compressed and turning to rock, and so on and so forth, this creates old rock in the bottom and new rock on the top. So for all of this to happen, I would need to be in my half boat for quite some time. Yeah, a very long time. I'd suggest you bring a fishing rod with you on your half boat. Excellent. Now, if we snap back to the 1800s, geologists consider this geologic law, this sort of old rock on the bottom, new rock on top. Um, it was one of the cornerstones of their geologic scientific theory, upon which the rest of geology was laid. Like sediments. Exactly, like sediments, Annie. With new theory built on top of old theory. Those theories which were known to be true. Only, what if they aren't true, Annie? What if they're lying? But they do lie, Jenny. They lie in nice flat beds along the ocean floor. Yes. Slowly compressing. You've gone into great detail about just how calm... And lying they are. Yes, well, they do lie like that, but what if the theory lies about them? This one major assumption about sediments led to many a geological ground and mind-twisting problem. But to one man, they spoke the truth. One man was able to whisper sweet, sweet nothings to these rocks, and the rock whispered sweet, sweet somethings back. Enter Charles Lapworth. He was a fine fellow indeed. Born in the mid-1800s in Oxford, he was a school teacher as well as a self-taught geologist and a wonderful beard grower. Can I see his beard? Yes, here's a picture if you just look here. Yeah. Oh wow, that is a splendid beard. It is wonderfully full. One of the finest we have seen and we see a lot of beards in this <laughs> line of podcasting. There's <laughs> <laughs> one thing about Scottish history, covered in beards. Covered in beards. Now this budding geologist rocked up, and that, that pun was intended, <laughs> to the southern highlands of Scotland with his big swinging hammer, statement oval spectacles and a desire to solve some decade-old mysteries. Now, the area that he was in was right next to the Grey Mare's Tail at a place called Dobbs Lynn. And this whole area was held in the thralls, and I mean the thralls, of one of the most vicious geological wars known to all geologists ever in the history of old men arguing about rocks and... There's a long and rich history about this, let me tell you. But I, I won't actually tell you because we don't have 400 million years. <laughs> they love a fight, Annie. What I will tell you is that this fight was called the Cambro-Silurian Controversy. <laughs> and it was between two old rivals, Adam Sedgwick and Sir Roderick Murchison. This sounds very dramatic. Surprisingly, Annie, they get vicious in this. And they couldn't agree on the boundary between their own favourite pieces of rock. Because the area under dispute didn't follow the expected thinking of the day. Now this led to the two men exchanging many heated words, and one of the careers being all but completely stalled because of it. So here wades Mr. Bearded Geologist, just chip chip chipping away at this controversial rock like a man possessed. And he's just like, ah, oh, there's got to be a message here. There's got to be something. Give me a sign I'm on the right track. And bam, the earth answered. There in front of him, on the very rock in his hand, writing. Well, hieroglyphs. Well, something that looked like hieroglyphs. So much so that their name is actually derived from this very fact. He found graptolites. Ah uh, yes, so in Greek this literally means written in the rock. Graptolites are a fun little group of fossils composed of various types of strange sea creatures that run along the same veins of life as, think of like sea cucumbers, starfish, and lots of weird looking sea worms. 
Remember I mentioned the animals dying and falling to the bottom of the ocean? Yes, and, yes. Yeah, they were being compressed under layers of mud. Well, this is them, 400 million years later. And they are the voice of the rock, Annie. And the rock, it whispered, Hey there, beardy boy. They all think I'm this really basic, easy-to-read, simple rock. Well, I want you to know, yeah, just you, that I am a complex and tricky beast to comprehend. But I think you have the brains, the patience, and the most beautiful beard I have ever seen. So I will show you my secrets, but you will have to decipher them. environmental science. I literally studied geology at university. This is how I taught myself it. Is this why you've got a rock collection so you can go to your bedroom and someone loves you? <laughs> I just get so lonely. <laughs> but after this, Annie, they made sweet, sweet... History. They made history. Yes, yes, they did. To cut a long story medium, what he read in the rocks didn't seem to make any sense. But he trusted the Whispering Stones, and over time, using incredibly detailed mapping, he figured out that these grapholites could be separated into three distinct categories, each of a different age, and thus he was able to accurately age the rock in front of him. And what he managed to show was that what was thought to be one big block of normally laid mudstone with the young on top and the old on the bottom was actually a thin layer of mud rock that had been repeatedly folded and faulted back over itself to make a much thicker layer. Like when you're making puff pastry and you have to keep folding the dough to build up layers. Kind of. I've never made puff pastry, but yes, Annie, I trust you. <laughs> rock can do that. And he was the first person to prove this, that rock, solid, hard, build your house out of it rock, could be folded on top of itself so that not only could it be upside down, but also so the older rock could be on top of younger rock. Now, this went against the age-old geologic rule. But, Annie, it was written right there in the rocks. And the rocks don't lie, Jenny. No, they don't. They whisper their gentle truths to anyone patient and observant enough. And I love this story, as it literally changed the history of the world as we know it. This revelation expanded the geological thinking and theory of the time, and allowed for so many old fights to finally be solved, including the Highland Controversy, which is considered the most important advancement in the understanding of geological processes ever. Well, yes, this all did happen in Scotland, and the same processes happened all over the world. So from our little country, this wealth of geologic study, theory, and fact was developed, though... I'm not 100% sure that the Whispering Stones actually whispered. <laughs> Annie, I can't speak for the rocks. That's their job. But, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this all came from one man and his beard down by the grey mare's tail, which is truly wonderful. So the Grey Mare's Tale is also known as a hiding place for the Covenanters. Uh, the Covenanters? Okay, so in the early 16th century, Scotland is a completely Catholic nation, but this is all about to be shaken up with the Reformation. Ooh, yeah, shake it. Now this is creating great turbulence and a really dramatic shift 
because the church was so central to people's everyday life, from welfare to education. Church was the reason that people worked hard and played a role in society for their own salvation. And the Scottish Reformation in the 16th century split the church into Catholic and Protestant factions, creating different church cultures and different ways to pray and worship. The Covenantes are essentially a Protestant group of people who want to worship under a Presbyterian doctrine. Just imagine a heady cloud of Old Testament rhetoric and strict Presbyterianism. Well, that's quite the complicated cloud, Addy. I don't think uh, I don't think we got taught that one in my environmental science studies. Well, the Covenanters were Presbyterians, so they're not an actual cloud. <laughs> what? <laughs> and they're trying to protect their beliefs. Beliefs cemented in the 16th century, though the Covenanters themselves come into play in the 17th. But they often end up as martyrs. Um, there's actually some incredible histories of their martyrdom. But this isn't going to be one of them, so don't worry. And they had some, quite frankly, excellent acts of rebellion. The Covenanters kicked off the 17th century with an infuriated market trader named Jenny Geddes. Okay, well, Jenny Geddes is a bit of an uncertain and mysterious catalyst in the story of the Covenanters. We really don't know that much about her. Or even if she really existed at all. Okay, all right. Well, I'm going to go off the idea that she did exist and that she was a riot starter. She was allegedly present at the first reading of the new Scottish Episcopal Book of Common Prayer. This was an Anglican-style document of worship being pushed upon the Scottish churches and their people by Charles I. And Feisty Jenny was having none of it. Enraged at this unwanted form of worship, she shouted at the minister... Deal ye a colic, the way may ye, foss thief, dor ye say moss in my lug. Okay, so this is in St. Giles Cathedral, and Jenny is cursing the minister by saying, May the devil cause you colic in your stomach, <sighs> you false thief. Harsh words. How dare you say mass in my ear. Oh, she was really, oh, she was angry. So she's wishing him bad stomach conditions <laughs> because he's trying to introduce a different way of worship. May the devil give you gluten intolerance and no one <laughs> believes you because they think you're just jumping on the bandwagon. <laughs> Truly a, a dreadful curse there, Jenny. It is. So what does Jenny do next? After she wishes the minister colic, she picks up her chair and threw it at him. Actually, Jenny, most accounts say that it was a stool, a small kind of prayer stool with only three legs. It would have been made of wood quite light. Okay, well, after she loved this three-piece sofa set and coffee table at the (laughs) minister, a riot broke out, which developed into a movement, which ended up with the Scottish Covenanters being persecuted by the government. So, like I said earlier, the Covenanters' ideas and concepts and movement really started long before Jenny Gaddis. But we see this Jenny Geddes story as a kind of analogy for this bursting point in the Covenanter movement. It's almost like a pot that's been coming to the boil for years and years. And then in one moment, it just all boils over and explodes and leaves a very messy mess in the kitchen. Okay, yeah. So where do the sofas come into it? (laughs) And this mess takes us right back to the Grey Mare's Tale and a really dark chapter in Scottish history called The Killing Times. So essentially, under the reigns and wishes of King Charles II and James VII, the Covenanters find themselves heavily persecuted 
as a means of trying to stamp out their beliefs. Now, the area around the Grey Mare's tail was used as a hiding place for Covenanters. And I find this wee rhyme in a Walter Scott book that tells us more about this. A remarkable encounter betwixt the foul fiend and the champions of the Covenant is preserved in rude rhymes. Hab, dab and David din, dang the devil where Dabson's lin. Now apparently <laughs> this is talking about two Covenanters, Jenny. They were named <laughs> Habit Dobson. Hab, dab. And David Dunn. David Dunn. <laughs> they were hiding at the Grey Mare's tail, trying to escape their persecutors, who would have been government troops, but then we switch into myth, and here we learn that instead of the government authorities, these two covenanters are coming across an even darker enemy. Yes, these two men were being hunted for their beliefs and running for their lives. They couldn't bear to deny their deep-held beliefs to the authorities, and so the punishment dealt upon them would be brutal. So they found themselves hidden in a ravine by the roaring torrents of the Grey Mare's tail, secreted away from their assailants, but not, they found, from mountain goats, which are known in these parts, as there is a varied wildlife there. From their hiding place, they heard the sound of hooves on rocks, and quietly, coming closer, they heard clip, clop, clip, clop, clip, clop. Intrigued and keen to see a real-life wild goat, they followed the sound of the hooves to the edge of the raging waterfall, so close that they could smell fire. The stench of sulphur and burning flesh filled their nostrils. The smell of sin and sorrow consumed them, for it was not a mountain goat, but the devil. <gasps> for the devil was quite fond of the area. He enjoyed holidaying there for the picturesque beauty and the varied wildlife. <laughs> Well, I, I understand that, actually. It's quite idyllic down there. <laughs> but when the devil found the two men hiding, he quickly snapped out of holiday mode and returned to work. The work of scaring these two men real good and making them question their faith in God. Oh, this sounds terrifying, Jenny. What did the devil do to these covenanters? He made faces, Annie. Real mean and ugly faces. Stop making that face, Jenny. <laughs> now, this would be the devil trying to scare them out of their sacred devotions through showing them the horrifying face of hell itself. <laughs> oblivion. <laughs> endless damnation. <laughs> so, how did this go for the devil? I don't know. How's it going for me, Annie? <laughs> <laughs> no eternal damnation here. <laughs> but I'll be honest with you here, Annie. Uh, for the devil, it was not going great. The two men were shocked, but not unprepared, for they had their Bibles at the ready. And what better way to defend yourself against the devil than by smacking him repeatedly with a Bible? Okay. And now they gave him such a pummeling, a real thumping, using their proper leather-bound hardback Bibles, they caused the devil many a bruises and inconveniently placed paper cuts, let me tell you. Okay. <laughs> Hang on there a minute, Jenny. <laughs> I think that they would have been using the Bibles to attack the devil by actually preaching the word of God instead of a literal bashing. Either way, Annie, they were quite accomplished at Bible beating. For the devil realised that his faces weren't working and that he had no choice but to try a new tactic. And this one is a doozy, Annie. Oh, the devil was sure this one was going to trick him real good. 
he turned himself into a pack of leather hides. Leather hides. And in the form of a stack of devilishly high quality hides, he threw himself off the waterfall to plunge 200 feet to the bottom of the waterfall and ultimately make his way back to his holiday cottage, which was just a few miles away. Now, I'll be honest, Annie, I don't really get this as a tactic. He just turns himself into some leather and then launched himself into oblivion. But Jenny, these were two covenanters from Selkirk. Right. Which at the time was well known for its suitors. Right. So that's people who make high quality leather shoes. Right. So in this story, the devil is trying to tempt these men with their own greed and desire for this high quality leather. So that they could seize it out of the waterfall and then they could sell it to a shoemaker for a pretty penny. I see. Okay, so the devil wanted to lure these men into jumping off the waterfall after him in the hopes of future riches. Ah, clever trickster, that old Satan, eh? But this didn't work on our two covenanters, Mm -mm. for they were so pure and holy that no promise of riches or wealth could tempt them over the edge of a waterfall. Ah, yep, they really showed that devil what they were made of. (laughs) Bibles and a love of mountain goats. So I think this is a really intriguing story for the Covenanters because they themselves believed that their cause was saving the land and the people from the influence of the devil. More so, whilst hiding from persecution, it's still tying in this idea that they are still fighting the most significant battle for them, which is one for their mortal soul, their fight against sin. And the Covenanters were known to use the Grey Mare's Tale as a hiding place and a lookout spot for government troops. And, Jenny, (laughs) there are indeed many splendid feral goats cavorting around on their wee hooves, but they are actually lovely. And, Annie, the devil did actually like to holiday there. Big fan, five stars review. Blasphemy, Jenny. some phenomenal wildlife around the Greymare's Tale. It's now even a nature reserve, and one of my favourite flowers of this habitat is Starry Saxifrage. It's a beautiful arctic alpine plant that produces stunning little star-like flowers bursting with delicate white petals, painted with intricate little yellow detail. Flowering in the summer, Starry saxifrage create a beautiful galaxy of brightness across the ground. Their flowers develop brighter colours as they get slightly older, a little heart of pink. It's a really spectacular and fragile and powerful little saxifrage. They are, but unfortunately some of these little guys will get eaten by a feral goat. Yes, feral goats are jumping around the grey mare's tail merrily and happy in their little goaty worlds. Have you ever seen a feral goat, Jenny? I have, actually. There's a fair few across Scotland. Um, And from afar, they look really cute. But then when you get closer, they actually look really raggedy, as though, honestly, as as though they drink the special brew and they they smoke roll-ups. And despite living next to a waterfall, they haven't really washed since the Scottish Reformation. (laughs) You are so cruel, Jenny. I mean, I'm just being honest. They're They're pretty scruffy looking. They are a little bit scraggity, but the feral goat is marvellous as a nimble and resilient explorer. You see them standing on a scraggy, rocky overhang from a hill, 
and they can look majestic with their incredible curved horns. The horns have this strange texture, as though they were maybe formed from rocks or stones from a different era. There's an old saying in Gaelic that it's so stormy it could blow the horns off a goat. <laughs> I love that. And I find this so charming, because if you think about a bad storm, you usually think of it blowing over a tree or something inanimate. But then in the Gaelic, it implies that the goat's horns are just as intrinsic to their environment and the landscape as anything else. <laughs> it is. What a cute... I'm just imagining uh, a poor goat trying to grab its horns as they blow off. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, it's, it's uh, stormy outside. Better take the horns in. <laughs> Leave the goats out. Bring the horns in. <laughs> yes, and these goats are now technically feral. However, they're also an invasive species that was introduced thousands of years ago with Neolithic farmers when they were domesticated. However, during this time, a few strays established their own existence in the wilds and these are the feral goats that we have today. And really, when I describe the feral goat, Annie, you know, I, I think of that's how we are when we go into nature and into the wilderness. And we realise that we too could survive on starry saxifrage and just be a little scraggledy, messy little... You know, Jenny, I really don't think you should eat any saxophage. Oh, that's a bit late, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> the supplies are running low during lockdown. Though some species of saxophage used to be used in herbal medicines to help hey. kidney stones. Oh. The Latin name for it is rock breaker, not for physical rocks in the environment, but for the rocks in your, your kidneys. Ah, so we have two rock breakers in this episode. This little flower and also our boy Charles. Yes, but I would just like to reiterate that I would much rather my delightful starry saxophage remain as a spectacular constellation on the craggy earth. What's that goat noise, Jenny? Yeah, that was a, fer <laughs> <laughs> that was a feral goat eating one. <laughs> Good goat chewing. Alrighty, what a strange trip through time we just took, Annie, to take a look at a waterfall that was brought to our attention from your lovely grandpa. Indeed, Jenny. So let's finish with a song by Scots poet Alan Cunningham. Let's get it sung by our beloved Kyle. Oh, but uh, we're going to have to leave the studio while he's in. Yes, um, that's because though we're all in lockdown together, we have to socially distance from Kyle because he's going through chemo for a brain tumour. Yes, pesky, pesky tumour. But uh, he's doing well and we are shielding him by staying two metres away. And as our studio is only one metre by one metre, we're going to have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get Kyle in to sing a really wonderful ballad, Farewell Ye Streams. Hello Stories of Scotland listeners, it's Kyle here. It's a pleasure to be invited back on for another episode of the podcast. I've got a wee song I'm going to sing to you just now. Um, it's an absolute banger. Uh, so let's just get through it together. Farewell ye stream, say dear to me, my bonny cluderneath and dee. He burns a rose bonnily. Your siller waves name it I'll see Yet though frayer green banks I'm driven My soul away could ne'er be riven For still she lifts her in to heaven 
and sighs to be again with thee. Sing o'er her cows a tough and old, her carlines grim that flight and scold, her wapsters blithe and suitors bold, her flocks and herds say fair to see. Sing o' oh, her mountains bleak and high, her fords one neighbouring kelpies ply, her glens the haunts o' rural joy, her lasses lilting o'er the My gallant brothers are brave and bold, wha hod the plough or wake the fold, until your dearest blood run cold, I true unto your country be. With daring look her dark she drew, and Custa mother ye on you, then let na ony spalsian crew. Her dear bought freedom rest free Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. That was wonderful. Thank you so much, Carl. It was such a lovely ballad. Don't worry, people. We're going to look after Carl and keep feeding him his beloved batteries and prune porridge. Well, thank you for keeping things moving, Annie. <laughs> And thank you at home for listening and following us on this journey down one of Scotland's most iconic waterfalls. And when it is safe to travel again, if you are down in the borders, please visit this wonderful waterfall. There's a car park there and lots of beautiful walks all around the Grey Mare's Tail Nature Reserve. If you've enjoyed listening to us, then please leave us a review. It really helps other people to find our podcast and gives us meaning to keep doing this. Until next week, slanjava. Slanjava.